What's up, everybody? It's your friend Isaac with Big Bike BMX, and today we are back with another jam-packed interview uh, that I'm super psyched about. Uh, Craig, Craig was like, "Hey, dude, we have this opportunity." I was like, "Dude, jump on it. Try, try and make this happen." And then uh, I get a text at work, man. We got it. And so this, you're about to watch <laughs> with uh, what what went down. So, Craig, uh, tell me about our guest today. Tell, like, give us an intro. Well, let me tell you what, there, there's a billion different ways I could do this. So I'm just going to make it short and sweet tonight on the show, Isaac, we have a really, really special guest. And yes, uh, like you, I'm really stoked to have him here tonight. He's a BMX Hall of Famer. He's a two-time King of Vert champ. He's a world record holder and so many more things, brother. You may know him from the Haro Freestyle team tonight, Isaac. Welcome, everybody, our special guest here on Big Bike BMX, Mr. Brian Blyther. Brian, 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 Laramie, Laramie, Wyoming's favorite tourist, Brian Blyther in the house. Yeah, how you guys doing? Man, stoked you're here. Stoked that you decided to come and hang out with us. Uh, Dude, it it is such a pleasure. And uh, I've been dying to do this since we had the, the, the Haro team on. Uh, when we surprised Craig and, and that was, that, that in itself was hilarious to us. Yeah, that um, was cool. That was a good night. D- dude, that was fun. <laughs> so, uh, y'all bef- before, if you want to see that interview, I'll put a little card up in the top, uh, that basically tells you, Hey, go, go check this out. You can watch an interview with Brian, uh, Dave Norrie, Ron Wilkerson and Craig and I, uh, where we surprised Craig, Craig had no idea what this was happening. So go watch that. Uh, but you know, I, I kind of wanted to get into, uh, you know, what it was like you personally and, and what that was like, because what, uh, there's so many iconic photos of Brian Blyther, right? Everybody's, everybody's seen the picture that that's huge air with the seat up in your gut. It seemed like that was every, every air out at pipeline. And that's, I think that's where I, I remember you most from skate park riding before it, basically, I remember Brian Blyther, the skate park rider then the vert touring guy um inventor of my favorite trick the tail whip y'all if you didn't know that thank brian blyther for the foot jam tail whip um but dude i i saw this picture of brian of you brian uh with from bill bachelor and it was like you just in some jeans doing like a tabletop at like some hills in so, like a, a field and i was like dude it, it just brought me back from like i had this like haloed brian blyther god and it's like that photo brought me back to like, no, dude, Brian Blyther rode bikes around his neighborhood just like you did, did tricks just like you did. Um, I'm fascinated by that, dude. Tell me like how you started. Uh, you know, you don't have to go like my first bike, but you know, when when did you notice like, man, I'm kind of I'm kind of good at this, uh, or you know, like <laughs> right. people tell me I'm good at this. I don't know, like what, what when did how, tell me about that era. Well, my I have a, a five year old brother or a brother that's five years older. He was in skateboarding. So early on, we went to the Baldy Pipe and actually went to the pipeline. I went to the pipeline a couple of times as a skateboarder, actually several times because bikes weren't allowed in. And uh, I kind of I kind of rode on his coattails and everywhere they went. Um, but I the, the the few times I remember that I had something or they were telling me like they were impressed was when we set up some jumps and uh, they were they were do the jumping thing. They all rode BMX, too, but they were mostly skateboarders, but they would jump and do the little line with the foot. And I would, I would jump and I would pass it like three or four feet and they would all just trip out pretty soon. They just didn't want to jump with me anymore. But one of their friends was a photographer 
so he invited me every time. And then, uh, at that point, my brother, you know, kind of told me, Hey dude, you're good. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of started feeling that, you know, I'm at least, I'm at least as good as my brother's friends. I didn't think much past that, but uh, that was kind of the first time I thought that yeah, this, this is, this is a good time. Dude, exactly. And that's, that's what, you know, before contests, before, you know, you had that kind of stuff in the magazines, that's what it was. You guys, it was like, who could bunny hop the farthest? Who could jump over the most kids? Like you see those pictures. <laughs> most of the time it's like, yeah, they cleared it, but you know what I mean? That, that's how you <laughs> tested your friendships. You know, it was like how yeah, many people totally. jump over, you know, like we all did that. That's awesome. Um, so, so thinking about those days, like, do, do you remember your crew of like normal people or did you, and this is for me, like, this is the part I'm dying to know, like, behind the scenes, Brian Blyther. Cause in my mind reading, you know, the way I remember it, Oh, Brian Blyther just hung out with Eddie Fiola and everybody else that I had on my walls. Uh, you know, him and Mike Dominguez probably hang out every day after school and they just shred and it's, you know, but there's gotta be those stories in between, you know, that and, and what we growing up thought and, and kind of the stories that we built, but, you know, were you a neighborhood legend? Was there, did you just roll with a bunch of dudes that were like, as good as you, did we know them? Did we not know them? That kind of, I'm curious about that. So I, th I think the first time where I realized that I was kind of uh, the, le the, the dude in the neighborhood that uh, was talked about in BMX. I mean, when people would like drop off license plates on my front porch that had, you know, something, something BMX or BMX 000, <laughs> whatever it was, I was, I was starting, I was kind of tripping out. And then my brother knew this, uh, a friend of, a friend of his that lived down the street and uh, about an acre property and they were punk rockers and they, they had a punk band and they played all the time. Well, they also had an eight foot half pipe. And so I went down there one time, they invited me down there and I rode. And there was never a weekend past that, that time where they didn't invite me to come ride while they were playing and skating. They all skated and it was just a full punk scene. And I'd ride a BMX and I remember the, they were just always trip out. Everyone would just kind of stop and watch. And uh, it was actually pretty cool. It was a little bit intimidating, but uh, it was super fun. And then from that time on, uh, my brother built a quarter pipe in our front yard and it was at the top of our driveway. So it was uphill, but, uh, you know, people, <laughs> people, people would park in the street and, you know, and, and, you know, his friends, my friends, they would all be there and we would blast the quarter pipe and it was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, man. Not a lot of people can say they built a quarter pipe in their front yard. You know, usually like the mom, mom and dad are like, yo, you can put that in the backyard, dude. So what was that like with all your, you know, your neighborhood buddies coming over hitting the, the front yard quarter pipe? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it got to a point to where, uh, you know, my parents started thought, thought about putting a chain on it or, or, or doing something. Cause we would hear kids at, you know, seven in the morning, you know, hitting it. It was pretty loud. And then uh, I don't I don't remember what the uh, what the scenario was on how we we stopped that I, don't, I really don't remember what we did it wasn't there that long uh, because the the punk rock the punk rocker guys actually gave me their half pipe so we cut it in four pieces and then bring it over here and put it up in my backyard so any of the pictures you see in the early days where I have a half pipe in my backyard that actually came from the uh, the punk rock parties down the street which uh, was a super fun eight foot tall eight foot wide ramp and then. Uh, Actually, prior to that, I had kick turn ramps in the backyard. So my parents were always really cool about ramps. You know, I built uh, just two just kick turn ramps, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, that lasted, you know, a few months until I actually got the half pipe. And then once I got the half pipe, it was kind of on. But uh, yeah, there was there was definitely times where me and my best friend, this guy, Robert Ag Aguilar, we would do we'd play Mike Buff and, and RL every day. 
doing curb endos in the front of the house. And uh, I always was Mike Buff. He was always RL. <laughs> and uh, that, you know, that's just what we did every day. In the early days, we grew up in an area where there was like almost like ET, where there's houses being built everywhere. You know, I was the last house um, in my neighborhood, the last house on the left and across from me about a half a mile and about a mile down was just all field. So in the early days, it was just riding the dirt and riding. And then once he started building houses, riding on the jumps and um, yeah, it was, it was a blast. Every day we would ride, we would ride till, you know, six, seven, eight o'clock at night every day. And parents were, were pretty cool. You know, took my bike with me every vacation and it was just a, it, early on, it was, it was known by the family that, you know, I rode bikes. Yeah, that's super cool, man. And so when, you know, when you've got a, a setup in the backyard or you're in some dirt lot somewhere, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you're, you're with your buddies and you're, and you're doing your thing, but tell us a little bit about like where you got recognized. What, what was the, the catalyst into someone going, Hey dude, we want you to come ride for us. Or, or where did you make that jump into? This is more than just my backyard uh, ramp or. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I had the half pipe I rode, but really no magazines or anybody had ever been here until, uh, until I started racing. So I started racing. Um, I was probably 12, 13. I started racing at the pipeline and then another place called Azusa Canyon, uh, a couple places I raced in several places around here, but about, about right, right when I was turning 14 expert, which in at that time, it was like the gnarliest class ever. I thought, which was because it was some of the pros that turned pro, some of the some of the real gnarly dudes, and uh, the pipeline said if you raced on Thursday, you can you can ride the bulls on your bike, and it took two Thursdays, and I never raced again. Uh, I started riding the bulls, and I uh, I actually loved. I mean, I, I dug racing because it was fun, but it was just you know it was intense. It was just different, but it was fun. But uh, riding the bulls just blew me away, and at that point, within just a few weeks. Um, I was getting a lot of attention and people, you know, trying to, trying to give me parts and give me things. And it was really weird. I bet dude. I mean, that, that whole era, uh, it was just, just amazing. Cause I, you know, thinking about like, yeah, the racing and, and there's so many stories, first of all, Azusa's, I mean, that's, that's a world famous track and, you know, you got to think like exactly what you were saying, you know, you're you're racing against the people that were, you know, that are also now in the hall of fame with you as, for racing. And, and there's two things that, that I remember that our, our stories are parallel because, you know, we started out doing the same thing in my neighborhood up in Northern California, where it was like just dirt lots. And so you'd build, you just get, everyone could find a shovel. And so you could go out there and build, build jumps. But then oh, as, wow. as the eighties progressed and the economic boom of the eighties and people were building houses, well, now you got construction workers and construction workers were the gift, the unsung heroes of BMX, because those dudes, <laughs> if you went over there and you looked like you were, you know, you were 10 to 12 and you just showed them a picture of a magazine with ramp plans. And you're like, can I have this stuff that you're going to throw away? And they're like, absolutely. And so, I mean, in our neighborhood, we had carpenters that would just on their they'd swing by on the way home and just like, take a look at our ramps to make sure like, are they, you know, and they were obviously horrible, but you know, these dudes are like, all right, they, they weren't making sure they were safe. They were just seeing, do we need more wood? They were like, okay, I got oh, that. That's, that's super cool. Yeah. Super, super rad. So I understand that. So it's almost like that progression there, but you know, it, that era kind of had the, you raced BMX, everyone kind of did BMX, but then 
at that point, there was that moment where you switched from, okay, BMX isn't my jam. I like jumping. So then all of a sudden you're a freestyler. It was like you specialize, like you went to college and you're like, everyone takes the same courses. And then you're like, okay, I wrote, I want to focus on freestyle. And then you're like, okay, I want to focus on vert. You know what I mean? But you started doing flatland. We all kind of did that. So I love that, that, you know, the way that we all kind of just went off. And I say we all, because, you know, it's, it's that, that all of us kind of lived through that same thing. You were on walls, but we all experienced this, this amazing chapter in our lives. You know what I mean? And, and I love that for, for what it is. So when you say it was weird, right. You started getting free stuff. You started getting sponsored. Um, do you remember, I mean, were you stoked? Do you remember what that feeling was like when you're like, you know what, uh, they're going to give me a bike or, or was it like, there was so many, you had options. What was that like in those early days of sponsorship for, for you? So in the real, real early days, um, I had a friend, Steve Caballero. He was by the, the BMXer, Steve Caballero. He lived down okay. in Chino and he had, his family had a, a, a big dairy. They, they sold hay and had, you know, cows and horses, big, big farm. And, uh, uh, one of their, kind of uh, ranch hands was this guy named Dave Breed and Dave Breed. We all know who Dave Breed was, who ended up going, uh, riding GT and being a, you know, traveling for GT for many years. Um, he, he, he saw me at the pipeline one day and kind of started talking to me and he knew that I knew, uh, you know, Steve and we started building jumps into the hay. And so we started learning some, you know, we wanted to do, you know, some of the stuff we saw in the magazines as well, you know, some, Harry Larry stuff or some Timmy judge stuff or whatever. So we started jumping into the hay. Well, that kind of, that relationship kind of kicked off and he, uh, he worked, uh, made, made much money, lived on a trailer on the place and he ended up, you know, buying me some parts and helping me out at the pipeline. And, uh, and he kind of took me under his wing and basically was my first sponsorship. So, uh, my bikes were always pretty dialed. I mean, from the get go, from, from maybe probably three weeks into riding the skate park, my bikes were, were pretty much always dialed. Um, there was a, there was a company called Galindo. They made grips and I think, uh, maybe like number plates, they tried to give me a bunch of stuff and, uh, you know, I took it and, you know, said I would try it out and, and then pretty quickly, um, you know, the Huffy thing came about, um, within, you know, I think my first contest, first or second contest, I did really well. I think Huffy approached me probably somewhere between my first and second contest ever. And it was a factory sponsor. And it was, uh, you know, I do know, I do know what bikes I rode then because they, they weren't Huffies, but uh, that happened pretty, pretty early on. And then, you know, I started doing some traveling, going to Ohio, going to their factory quite often. And, uh, and I was getting, you know, a small salary, but I was getting a salary. You know, I just, I'm just about to start high school or starting high school. And, uh, it was a, it was a trip. Actually, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I got, I got sponsored by Vans first. And, uh, right. that's, this was a, from, uh, seventh to eighth grade, um, Vans, um, ended up sponsoring, sponsoring me and asking me to go on tour. And so, uh, when, you know, I did my, my, my finals in the seventh grade, went on the, uh, the motorhome and with the fiberglass half pipe with Mike Dominguez, Martin and Eddie, and we went on tour for about three months. That that's, I kind of, I don't know why I forget that period of life, but that was the, that was probably the biggest, funnest tour, most, most exciting thing that I did in BMX 
by far up until that point. And uh, just the fact that my parents would let me go, the the that tripped me out. The fact that we had a chaperone who was uh, he drank Jack Daniels every night when he when he parked the the bus. He put up uh, wrestling pictures in his hotel room, and he was kind of like our chaperone. Um, that blew me away that we were trusted. And then you know, mis- mischievous Mike Dominguez and uh, Woody Edson and Martin Aprio, we just kind of made do. And um, Everett Rosecrans and his two sons were with us, the skateboarders Kelly and Beetle, and that was a. Uh, that was an eye opener on, on what really is out there um, within BMX and skateboarding as well. It was, uh, and then break dancing as well. We had break dancers too. So it was a, it was a, a, a wild tour. There was a lot of things that I learned on that tour, a lot of good, bad, ugly. Um, but ultimately I, I'm very blessed. That I was able to go on that tour because it was, uh, it was crazy. It's almost <laughs> like you became a man on that tour, man. I mean, yeah, man, there's a lot I mean, of things that happen. Dude, you're, you're traveling with break dancers and, and, and so like, okay. So like it's in Dominguez, did you know that? Like, did you know those guys before the Turk kicked off or was it like, Hey, Hey Brian, this is, this is Woody Itson, this is Mike Dominguez. And then it was like, okay, cool. And here's a guy with, you know, the wrestling photos in the room and the Jack Daniels. <laughs> did you, did, did you, first of all, did you know them? And secondly, did your parents, did they look at that guy and know he was the chaperone and still let yeah. you go? <laughs> my fa- and my favorite part, he said, kind of like a chaperone. Kind of like it. Yeah, he he was actually a good. I mean, he he stayed sober, you know, when he needed to, but when he didn't need to, he wasn't. So I kind of call that a a decent chaperone, at least. Uh, My parents, my parents uh, uh, met with Everett, and Everett's a good talker, and he explained that we have a a chaperone that's going to be with him, that's going to be driving, and and Everett kind of did his own little thing. You know, he had his own little friends that he met along the tour and did his things so we had a we had a motorhome so we all stayed in the motorhome um and yeah they bought off on it and i'm, I'm grateful they did because um a year or two later when rad came about um they also gave me the green light and i kind of denied it because uh because i'd i'd missed so much school on some of the other stuff and uh, i don't know why i did that but i i kind of did and uh but ultimately yeah, he was a decent chaperone. Ultimately, they they bought off on it, and uh, man, we can, I can tell you stories all day long on that tour. It was very, very, um, man, it was memorable. Totally, you can you can talk to any of those guys that were there, and they can tell you fifteen stories. Also, it was it was a good time. Yeah, I definitely want to hear. It. We're going to get to that. Um, so let me get back to the. Did you know? Did you know Mike oh, yeah. Dominguez and Woody? Uh, yeah. They're, so, so Mike D, Mike D was at the skate park several times in the, in the early days. I think he came within just a couple of weeks of riding bulls as well. Um, so I knew Mike, um, we weren't like necessarily good friends, but we knew each other. We rode together at, by that point. Um, I knew Eddie by that point only cause Dave Reed, uh, knew Eddie. Uh, but, but Martin and Woody, I, I had, I didn't know that well up until that point. Um, Kelly and Beetle, I, I met just for the first time on that tour. And we're all, I mean, every single one of those people I'm still friends with today. So it was a, it was a pretty tight knit group. Uh, we all became friends and uh, yeah, it was a good time. What, what year was that? I mean, you so said that you was were... in, that was in 84. 84. So, 84 so 83, was a... 83, 84, like school season. Yeah. 84 was a big year for you. You had, uh, you had uh, King, your first King Avert um, contest, right? Do you, you recall that? Was that 84? I think that was 85. So 85. King, King of the skate parks, you mean? 
Right. Okay. Was it King of Skate? Yeah. Park? So King of Skate. So I didn't. I, I we started. I started competing, but I didn't turn pro until '85. So uh, I rode it. I rode in the 16 and under King of Skate Parks um, prior to that, but uh, I didn't turn pro until 1985, and that's when I actually went to Harrow and turned pro. Gotcha. So I rode for Har. I rode for Huffy as an amateur. Um, competed as an amateur. Rode vans and Huffy um, amateur stuff, and then and then. Uh, once I turned turn pro, I went to Huffy and uh, started competing. Okay. So yeah, but that was that was only the next year. I was only I was only amateur for two two years, roughly. I have a question. Do do you do you ever look at those old bikes, right? The eighties bikes, and yeah, for, they're everywhere. Like, <laughs> I here's what I mean. I look at the for example the dropouts. I look at the dropouts, and for Flatland, I'm like, okay, yeah. But if I, I think about what you were doing and how high you were going and how how just not beefed up those bikes were, it blows. It, it, do you, I mean, do you ever just look at that and go, dude, I, would you let your kids ride that bike as high as high as you rode, you know, in that like in the oververt, uh, like the oververt sketchiness of of, you know, Upland and, and like pipeline everyone knows that's oververt everywhere right yeah it's, not, it's yeah like yeah. do you ever look at those bikes and just think jesus what did i, I do do? <laughs> i do now um i don't know i don't know i really didn't thrash too many bikes very very rarely i wasn't one of the guys that blew out forks all the time i think i had a dx pedal break one time um i, I still never broke a pedal out of a one-piece crank and i've done it several times out of a three-piece crank um, it just, I never thought about it cause it didn't happen. I mean, we were riding, if, if something would have been sketchy, then I would have, you know, upgraded or changed, but we really had no issues. And, uh, I don't know if it's credit to Haro or, or, or what, but, uh, you know, looking at it right now, you're right. They're tiny, tiny dropouts. Um, yeah, but the, the rims, I always rode Peregrines. I didn't, you know, I got, I got offered a lot of money to ride Skyways and I turned it down half as much money to ride Peregrines. And I think that was a huge a huge factor in my riding. You can put a 48 spoke rim with a ton of air pressure. And, you know, that was, that was my key to going high land smooth, but with 120 pounds of pressure and you're, you're going to blast, you just got to land smooth. Yeah. And that, you know, that was kind of, that's kind of all I really wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I really can't, I really can't explain it, but you're right. If I look at it, I, w- I wouldn't think that those things w- would stand up to what goes on or what went on. It's, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to look at when I, I mean, that's just one of those things that maybe as an adult, you know, I'm looking at the dropouts we have now and appreciating them and, and just looking at how, and you see these eighties bikes and you're like, man, they flew like gods on paper dropouts. It just blows my mind. <laughs> uh, but and then tell me a little bit about like the, the like pipeline and cause just watching it, like. I never, I've never visited. I lived up in NorCal. So my only experience to skate parks was VHS cassette tapes with agent orange background music <laughs> and, you know, watching, watching, you know, just like the up and down and, and uh, you know, you'd see through the pole. Like it was just like very eighties, uh, almost like a car commercial, like, a, like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't cool video, but it was the coolest we had and it was yeah, the only yeah. we had and we loved it. You know what I mean? So what was it like back there? Like oververt, that's the stuff that we never even knew about. You know, you heard it was gnarly, but to me being 10 years old, reading 
those stories, it's like, it's gnarly because it's cement. And then yeah. you get older and you hear from riders and you're like, no, dude, it was like three inches oververt in some spots, you know? And, and how did you, how did you get accustomed to that? What was it? Was it just like, this is what we got. So this is what we do. <laughs> kind of. There was a, uh, there was a 15 foot bowl that had no, no coping at the pipeline. And it went up to, and it had probably two feet of vert for fun. Even as we were super young, very early of riding the pipeline, um, we would try to do, we would do like four or five foot airs out of that bowl, which was just gnarly. And I, I you know, I think about it these days and I was like, gnarly, it was super gnarly. And then the, uh, the combi bowl was the round bowl was, was, was rideable, but you would have to, and you know, I carve everything because if, if it's going to be vert, I learned pretty quickly that if it's going to be vert, I'm going to carve. Well, in a, in a round bowl, you don't carve too much. So um, I learned how to yank and carve a little bit. It was not quite like pocket airs like nowadays, but to just carve like three or four feet and I could land pretty good. And those were, it was over vert. The, the, the round was rideable a little more than the square. The square had big, big humps in it and it was way over vert, but it was flat. So I could definitely carve that. Um, but yeah, it was gnarly, but that's, that's just what it was. I mean, that's, that's, that was my home place. I rode there, you know, probably three, four or five times a week for several years. And, uh, and it helped later on in life when I was going to some of the contests, like the, the, the big Houston contest that had the big two feet of vert, you know, that was, that was like no big deal. I mean, everyone was stressing out and it was like my, you know, my backyard ramp. It was just super easy just cause I was vert didn't bother me, but, um, yeah, it, 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 it wasn't normal for everyone. So not every park had as much vert as pipeline. Um, Del Mar didn't have hardly any vert. Uh, very, very few parks in California had as much vert as pipeline. It was, it was, it was pretty burly, but I didn't know it was burly until later on. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you, think that, uh, do you think that attributes your, your, I mean, it must attribute to your writing style, Brian, like did, did that just like encourage your, your send it style of just huge blasts out of, out of that, uh, that bowl and everything. I mean, cause you went to other places and you were, I mean, it must've been like, wow, this is not like a, my home, my home park. I mean, tell us about that. Was that, was that something that built your style or your, your technique? Well, I will say that uh, once the pipeline, um, I started hearing rumors that it was going to go, it was going to close. I thought, you know, as far as my, my bicycle riding career, I thought it was done. I didn't think I was going to be able to, you know, I wasn't a quarter pipe guy, you know, the half pipes I experienced, I never, I never been on a half pipe that was 24 feet wide or 36 feet wide. So I didn't even know those existed, but I just, in my mind, I was thinking, well, this, this was a good time. It was fun. That sucks that it's going to close down. I didn't really think too far past it, but, uh, yeah, I took, I took everything I knew from, from vert riding at, at a skate park and I adapted it to half pipes and, uh, even, even quarter pipes. I, uh, you know, I learned, I learned how to go straight up and down. I didn't like it. I wasn't great at it, but I learned how to blast, you know, and that's all I, you know, from the early on, even the little punk rack, punk rock ramp that, uh, you know, all I wanted to do is go high cause that tripped everyone else out. So you, you go four, five, six feet out of a, you know, little sketchy ramp. It looks gnarly. And uh, that's what I'd love to do. So everywhere that, I mean, that's, that's what I want to do. I don't want to land smooth and go as high as possible. And I took that everywhere I went. And I still, so, you know, I still try to do it. So what did, when you went on that tour, you were talking about that first tour, I mean, what, what were you guys doing with that? Because that, I mean, were you traveling with ramps? Did, did you, 
did you have ramps set up at, at the spots that you were going to be hitting in different states and different cities? Like you're going from big bowl writing to probably demo writing, right? So yeah. what was, I so mean, yeah, that, that was, that was by far the, the sketchiest ramp. It was eight foot, eight foot tall ramp with no flat bottom. So it just folded up and it had one foot decks on both sides. So it wasn't like you, you fly out, roll, there was no lip tricks, nothing like that. It was just, and, and as soon as you land, you're up the other wall. So super fast, super tight, but, uh, you know, pipeline from, from riding the half pipe or the full pipe. I mean, it, it, it didn't bother me. It was just a tighter, tighter pipe. And I, I adjusted and, and Mike wrote it well, I wrote it pretty well and it made for some good shows, but it set up super easy. It just folded out. Um, we never really adjusted it. Like, you know, some days it was, this side was undervert. Some days this, it didn't matter back then. We just figured it out and wrote it. So when uh, did the, uh, when did the hijinks start? How, how, from when you guys got in the bus or the van, how long did it take for the, the games to begin? <laughs> so I started it. <laughs> I say when we, well, as soon as we hit our first fireworks stand in whatever state, that's when it started. That's when it got loose. <laughs> so we bought a ton of fireworks and we had these poles from the ramps that we, we bring in the motorhome. And we had, uh, we had probably three windows on the passenger side. Well, we could shoot a bottle rocket from the third window and it would just hover like right by the, the windshield for like four or five seconds. And it would blow up if we were going 55 miles an hour. And we learned that. So then we got the big bottle rockets and we tried and we had, we were trying to go like 80, 85 miles an hour to get them to go right next to us. And, and uh, we, we caught a couple fields on fire that we had to pull over immediately and, and put some fires out. Mike Dominguez one time uh, shot a bottle rocket at a gas station and behind the gas station was this hill that caught fire. And I never seen somebody jump a fence so fast and pat out a fire, but he got it completely out and, uh, you know, put the gas cap back on and we took off. It was uh, a lot. There was one time we were at Hutch's, uh, Hutch's property. Um, I forget his name, Hutchings, uh, Richard Hutchings. I believe Sorry. so. Yeah. yeah no, anyway, we, we, we were, we were, we ended up doing a, a little thing at his, at his area. So he invited us to his, his little lake house. And, uh, I don't know, remember who it was, maybe be one of the skateboarders, I think shot one of the giant bottle rockets at his son on a dock and it hit his chest and sent him to the hospital. So we, we weren't really liked by the Hutch family after that. They were cool, but, uh, you know, that was one, that was one thing. That was one no, no. And, uh, fireworks were, were, were definitely, definitely sketchy <laughs> everywhere we went. If we got kicked out of a Denny's, we we're going to shoot bottle rockets at the front of the store. We got kicked out of a, a you know, a nightclub. We were going to shoot bottle rockets or, or Roman candles. We had a thing where we would sit, we had chairs all the way around us and we would all have a Roman candle. And we would light our Roman candles, then we'd have to pass them around every time it's shot. And pretty soon we're dropping them and just stupid, stupid fun. Playing, playing <laughs> hot potato with a lit uh, bottle rocket, right? Yeah. Great. Yeah. It was, nice. My favorite is like this is I, this is probably the fourth story that involved uh, Brian and fireworks and moving vehicles. Like oh, wow. that, I, that I that I have heard, you know what I mean? Like there was there was the other ones where it was like, oh yeah, we pull up to this nightclub and they shot into yeah, that the one nightclub. Was i'll blame that one on rich the gear that was a rich the gear situation but man it was awesome yeah i love that um yeah yeah it was was there i mean like and and i guess this is like okay i've i you know i remember 
it's always been like the Harl sport, uh, you know, and, and was there ever bikes that you were like, man, that's a dope bike. I, I would have liked to have ridden that bike or that geometry or anything like that. Well, that's a tough one. Um, I don't think so. I think yeah. I, I was super happy with, you know, my sponsorships, even when I rode for Huffy, I never rode a Huffy. I rode the same Skyway TA that I rode in the skate park the first few times I rode there. And then, uh, then I got a Patterson, uh, XL Patterson, which I liked even more and just changed stickers on that and made it my new Huffy. So, and then once, once I got on Haro, um, they were actually awesome bikes. Yeah. The only thing that, you know, the only thing that they suggested to me that, that they wanted me to start, um, advertising the FST, which is a shorter bike. And, uh, and so they said that they would make me, uh, you know, bikes that were the same size as the sport, basically the same geometry. And I loved it. I actually posted a picture just the other day of where I'm, I'm riding a F, uh, a red FST. It's pipeline. It looks like it's practice at a contest. And it's one of those, it's one of those longer, longer, longer uh, FSTs. And, was that uh, was that one of it was that an unstickered bike was that just a red i remember you posting that picture up what, what was the deal with that bike uh i don't know let me look yeah and it's so so just while you're looking that up was that a thing like isaac you know when when brian was just talking about when he rode for huffy he didn't ride a huffy when he rode for um you mentioned uh you got a patterson and then re-stickered it huffy yeah. Like, was that, was that something that was a thing because Huffy didn't have the right bike for you to ride for your style or was that just an agreement you had? So that was uh so Huffy was, was in the, so that was something they told me to do. Um, but they were in the works of building, you know, bike, bike shop worthy bikes. So Stu Thompson had gone on when I did. So I think he joined in 84 as well. Um, Gary Hazelhorse was on the team already. So they were, they were in the works of building like good bikes. It just didn't happen when I was there. So there was, I was there, I was only there a short time and I was out. It was a, that was, it was a really popular thing in BMX in, in the race world of BMX um, where people would ride just a, you know, someone else's bike with a, whatever sticker, you know what I mean? But yeah, you know, well, they, it, they still do it today. I mean, um, yeah. even in the Olympics, the, you know, like Mike Laird is, is, is fabbing up bikes and people will put like mongoose stickers on and stuff. But yeah. So you know, I was just thinking like with Brian's situation back in the eighties, it was like, wow, did Huffy have a bike that, that, that he could ride, you know, in, at, oh. at Upland? probably, <laughs> yeah. probably not. Cause they were all like, Maybe I don't know. At the time, was were they like mostly department store bikes? So they were, yeah, they were Walmart type bikes. You know, Sears, Sears, Robux, or whatever. They were they were big, uh, you know, store bikes, but they were they were not in bike shops, and that was their goal. I remember thinking it didn't make sense to me, but I, you know, now it makes sense to me when they were telling me they want a a bike shop worthy bike that they're going to sell in bike shops. And I thought, you know, whatever that means. But you know, later on, I understood what they meant. But it never happened, and I, I don't know if it ever happened ever. But they had uh, they had they had a program for the next four or five years, some big racers, and uh, I don't know if they got any more freestylers. But uh, yeah, I just I can't say I recall seeing a, a Huffy freestyle bike per se. I mean, Isaac, do you recall one, or, or do you? I don't. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I remember I remember the uh, the huge like marketing push between when Huffy did that with Stu and Brian, like. They went hard on people. I mean, I, I think even even uh, like Todd Lyons wrote for Huffy for a minute. Like, yeah, they tried yeah. for they yeah. they tried for that entire that entire 
uh, initial chapter of BMX and freestyle. They yeah. went hard. Uh, and, and honestly, dude, I mean, I don't know, I'm guessing, but I think it was probably just a lot of competition between them and Schwinn because uh, they were both like in that same kind of market. But I remember Schwinn had their own retail stores. And so that's where I think Huffy was like, they wanted to, they couldn't, they couldn't compete with Schwinn. I'm guessing, dude, but that's yeah. just the way I remember it. Uh, but I mean, it was a big company. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge company. They, they, they had like riding mowers and, and they had a lot of other things that, I mean, they did swing sets and like, I went to their factories and they, they had all kinds of stuff. Um, actually they gave me a, a pretty cool riding mower that I never, I never picked up or never had sent out here, but, um, now that I think of it, but they had all so they survived on, they survived with other stuff and their bikes, they probably sold, you know, I mean, they sold a, a shit ton of them, you know, there's huffies everywhere. So I think they did well until BMX kind of took off and then they realized or, or they tried and it didn't happen. I don't, I don't know, but yeah. maybe, maybe, you, you know, there's something like you said, like, you know, is when, uh, when you have a department store bike, that's wildly like popular, like Schwinn, Huffy, yeah. Murray, now, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't think Mongo, but I'm saying like, to get Early. a BM, uh, yeah to get a bike store or a BMX shop store bike store whatever shop bike um you know it's it, until that happened i'm sure that was kind of not the downfall of huffy but it was like well you can get a real BMX bike you know it didn't it didn't help that like yeah you'd see Brian but then you couldn't go buy that bike and if you did see a huffy it was in like uh you know, we didn't have Walmart at the time but it was it was in like a Sears or it was in like a like a you know one of those like JC depart yeah department store where you didn't want your, you didn't want your bike from them you know what I mean so it, it, they had half of it right because like at that point I, we we were all waiting for the the huffies to hit the the bike shops but it just never happened you know and who knows what was going on behind the scenes it's you know there's a lot to it but um, Brian I always ask this of every guest uh, did you keep anything did you keep Bikes, jerseys, uh, leathers, dude, stickers. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I kept, uh, I kept, so this, this is a house that I, uh, since, since I think I moved, um, to this house when I was probably five years old. So definitely every BMX memory, everything was in this house right here. Uh, I bought it off my parents, uh, a few years ago and, uh, and there's stuff that I found here, the, you know, suitcases and, and big crates of stuff that I never knew I really had or, or didn't remember I had. But I have uh, I have like a bunch of uh, pipeline trophies that I kept like 10 of them that were kind of cool. Uh, I definitely have a bunch of wheels and tires and a handful of bikes that. So the one thing about Huff or one thing about Haro was when I went to a contest, I would give my bike away just about every time. And that was something that Haro was cool with. And it was something that you know, I didn't want to take it back anyway, you know, back in the day, I would ride my bike to the, to the airport, check it in. And then I, you know, give it away and I'd get a ride home. Or sometimes I'd bring it back and ride home. It was just, uh, something I didn't have to bring home. So I gave away a ton of bikes. Um, and I, I think I probably, you know, they always wanted to have a fresh bike. And so we're traveling so much, just stickers get messed up. So, you know, I gave away a ton of all my, my entire neighborhood had Haro bikes at one time, all my friends, you know, my, my family. Um, and so those are the bikes I got back. Some of those, some of those people realized that, you know, I didn't have any bikes or I didn't, you know, I didn't keep any. And I got probably at least five bikes back that, uh, mean something to me. That's kind of cool. 
That's dope, dude. Yeah. Do you, I mean, did you, you kept jerseys and helmets and all that stuff? I too? have a bunch of jerseys and uh, I don't have any, you know, like I wish I had the Bell Moto 3s from the pipeline. Um, I don't have any of those, but I have uh, I have a couple. I have a Haro helmet. Um, yeah, I have, have, I, I have a what's that? You can you can fix a longstanding uh, question that, that Craig and I have about those helmets, dude. OK, Which one? the 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 bell helmets, not the Moto threes, but the do you remember the bell helmets when they came out? They were the open face ones. They were white. And the one I think the retail ones had diagonal like the stripes. Maroon stripes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. But I think the Haro team, I think you guys were issued ones with stripes that went around the back or at least i've seen wilkerson with that one uh do, do, do you uh, remember what ones you had no the, all the ones that i had were the ones that had the stripes on the side yep. there was like three three uh maroon stripes that went down yep um the only ones that that we that we had different let me go grab one yeah dude craig you know i've been dying to ask this we've talked about this like three times on the audio no, podcast it's the best part when we get our questions answered that we've had for the last 40 years right right but <laughs> there's no yeah. better way to do it yeah if you're gonna ask brian blythe or a question what is it uh can you confirm this question craig and i have debate about when it comes right. to the helmets <laughs> yeah we're gonna get all kinds of comments you had brian blythe and you wasted so asking these about are the helmets that we rode for a while with the little round visor before i think before um the you're talking but yep. the same helmet yeah so this is just the same helmet it's just painted different and this one's a painted one for like i think the 2012 worlds or the 2009 worlds in germany that's incredible dude. Um, uh, i don't i don't i don't have any i don't think i have any of the, the other helmets here but i probably have one or two somewhere and i bet it's probably in a storage i have a couple storage units that i keep um you know it, it's it's pretty uh not ironic but it's kind of cool that you know you have a lot of this at the house that you grew up in or at least from when you were five um and isaac earlier mentioned bill bachelor and bill like your time capsule there bill popped a time capsule open last year yeah. which included a ton of photos of you i mean he's got a book coming out pretty soon but um, have you been involved with Bill? Have, were you involved with the book that he's working on? And if so, like, what did you think about all these new fresh photos coming out of, all, you know, you and, and, and your buddies and stuff like that? I mean, was that something big that you guys were uh, uh, a part of with Bill or, or how did that go about? So, so Bill was one of the dudes that just one of all of us, you know, there was there was a handful of us um, that rode the pipeline. You know, there was uh there was ten or twelve people I seen all the time. Bill was one of those kids that was there all the time, and they started taking pictures, and we didn't. I could care less. We're still we're all riding. You know, if he wants to do stuff, he asked me to do something, I would do it. Bill's just Bill, and uh, he was a cool kid. And I remember, remember he started a zine, and I went to his house a few times because his house was right by the uh, Baldy Full Pipe. And so if you go up to the body full pipe, Bill's house was on the right and we had go to the end of the street on the left and then jump the fence. And that was a, the Baldy full pipe. So he lived right above pipeline. Um, I will say that some of the pictures I see, I don't remember. I don't remember that, but I know that me and Bill did a lot of, a lot of little shoots or little writing deals, or he took pictures everywhere we went. A lot of times we see him take a picture or something. There were four or five of us there. So, uh, well, he, so he had a, he had a pretty, 
not cl- crafty or clever, but it was re- what he did was really cool. Like he would, he said, you know, he would tell us, um, yeah, I'd call up so-and-so and I'd be like, Hey, let's go take photos somewhere. So they didn't up in like a longs drugs parking lot, you know, doing <laughs> flatland or he'd go hang out. Like if it was, you know, it wasn't a day at the bowl. It wasn't a day at pipeline where the, you know, the unis are on and John Carr is out there and Osborne's out there. It was just like, you guys want to go hang out at this uh, dirt track and do fun stuff. And yeah. Bill would show up and take photos of that. Did you get involved with anything like that with him? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's there's a picture where, uh, kind of like Isaac was saying, there's a picture where I'm just like jumping in this dirt field, and uh, Bill took it, and I, I really don't even know where it's at. <clears throat> so there there was a lot of little uh, little hidden dirt dirt jump fields around here that we all knew about. So Bill, you know, we would go session four or five different places in a day. I do remember that. Um, I just don't remember. You know, if I was, if someone told me a story, I remember, but yeah, we used to ride together. I wouldn't remember he took photos. I remember that he was one of the dudes we rode with and went to a bunch of different places all the time. I, I, I'm stoked. I mean, I know now because I see all those pictures, I'm stoked he took pictures, but you know, I wouldn't have remembered that he was a photographer, dude. I knew that he took photos for a zine. I know he took photos, but he was, Bill was the dude I rode with all the time. He was a rider. That's so dope, dude. Yeah, I, I got to point this out to you because I, I I actually bought one of these yeah. from Bill, which is the, the uh, let me get it straightened out there, but there's Brian. Is that uh, the bike um, with no stickers or is that the <laughs> picture he's talking about? That's I, the one I, I thought had no yeah, stickers. Yeah, I think so. I think, let me get in close, but yeah, it's, I mean, there's, it's, oh, yeah, I can't even get, that. look at that, you guys, the height on that is yeah, that's rad. crazy. And then there's a, there's a signature in here. I love memorabilia, dude. That's why I'm like, I'm pointing this yeah, out. A, I love a, that stuff. Yeah, that's a cool photo. This is now, another, this one's another, I don't know if you can see that, but that's another photo from uh, Bill. Is that blurry? Yeah. Uh, but I, I zoomed in and there's stickers on this bike too. So I don't know, but this is the bike that I'm talking about that was longer. This one, this one was definitely a, a longer FST. It was the same size as the sport. That's awesome, dude. I'm uh, not sure about, I'm not sure about that other bike, but I'm pretty sure that's the same situation. Probably Roughly the yeah. same time. Yeah. Yeah. Do, okay, so tell me about like the uh, your, your your legendary flatland career. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that. I'll be honest, man. There's two two tricks that that I think are probably my favorite as far as the way they felt. Uh, you know, I, and it's got to be like something. I, I mean, I was I I didn't ride ramp the way any of you did. I mean, I could ride up, uh, and then I could do a 180. I could do like an alley oop. Nothing above coping. Uh, because the first time I tried to go above coping, I looked at the coping and uh, I don't know what it is with, I don't know if it's everybody, but if you go up a ramp and you look at the coping, you absolutely stop spinning what, at whatever point your eyes look at the coping. So if, you, if you're if you going up and you look right here, you're just going to fall. I don't know what it was, but uh, so I know the, the sensation, right? And the feelings of some of those tricks, but for me, tail whips and boomerangs were, were my favorite tricks. I was a flatlander. Um, yeah. And so, like, tell me about the tail whip, first of all, but then follow up. If you look back at your 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 career, what was your like, man, I just like to do this trick the way it feels. I don't care how it photographs. I don't care if it's just you by yourself and you just want to feel stoked. What trick is your your like go to like? Yep, this is it. Probably that 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 they call it or I don't know who, who named it, but like the B-Tuck air where I'm just like super high and bone on my front wheel. I think the, that's actually, uh, that's actually kind of taken a little late. Um, but I used to like to bone my front wheel. Like, so if I'm over the coping 
I could see the coping straight under me. I would push my bike as far over as I can. And that, that felt so awesome to me. It was the coolest thing. And I remember I, as I'm coming down, I'm already starting to adjust. And as soon as I come down, I place my front wheel and I pump as hard as I can. And that, that to me was the, the, the funnest thing that I looked at every single time. There was times where, you know, you don't get the, you don't hit it right. And you're, you're not as far over the deck as you want to be, or you're, you're too far, but I had all this room to play with. I kept my back wheel right on the coping and I played with my front wheel. And so the back wheel always landed, you know, just, just under the coping, the front wheel I placed, you know, down as soon as I could, right, right, right at the coping. Um, and there was a lot of times I'd hit coping front and back wheels like, Did but uh, to me, that was, to me, that's what I'd love to do. That was, that was a favorite, favorite part about riding was just doing airs and uh, being in control of my front end. That's, that was super fun to me. That's why why I was, that's why I was, yeah. That's probably why you're so smooth was like that, that front wheel control. Like that's because Craig, I mean, when you think of ramp riders, right. Uh, there, there's something about the guys that started out doing skate parks. Cause even if you look at like enchanted ramp, like even in the, the later, the later years when it was like the, the, that's not a mega ramp, but to us, that was a mega ramp. At least it was the first time I'd seen a really wide, big ramp. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you would see you would see those guys, you know what I mean? The, like Andersons and, and Seguras and and you and Mike and like Ron. And it, there was definitely a, a big difference in the way that those big ramps got rode versus like the folks that you you I guess would just assume probably just rode wood their whole life. You know what I mean? So would would you say that that like those those big ramps um did that you benefited from coming up from? you know, the, the, the bowls and the cement. Yeah. hundred percent. I think I got all my, uh, all my control, all my, you know, um, the years of riding the pipeline without even knowing it or without even trying, I got my control and my, and my, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you call it. My gusto, my, my no fear of, of going high. And I, I did everything I could possibly do to get hurt at the pipeline. You know, I had, I had some, I had some issues. Um, so what, what's, you know, uh, you ride in the pipeline, every transition is different. Everyone's weird. And I was able to, I was able to go high there. So what's, what's wrong with a, a perfect half pipe that's the same transition all the way across. It was, it was, it was super, it was, it was super easy to ride and super fun to ride. Yeah. I just, I just rode the way I wanted to ride. I wasn't a, you know, I, I would say that I, I could have been a much better rider for contest wise, but I love going high. I love carving. I love doing my five tricks and, you know, <laughs> luckily, luckily other people liked it, but uh, that's truly what I wanted to do and what I like to do. It wasn't that, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, not win or, or, or not compete or not try hard. I just, you know, I, I did things under control. My, my style of riding was different than a lot of people's. I love watching a, a Jay Miron or a Volker or, a, you know, some of the dudes that were even Ron, you know, Ron, Ron sketchy. I, I love watching sketchy <laughs> riders, you know, that, that blast and do crazy stuff. I, I don't, I can't ride like that or I don't ride like that, but uh, I like watching it. That's Speaking sure. of but like wild style riders, especially at the pipeline, did you ride with guys like uh, Steve Watson or, or uh, were you down there a lot with, with Eddie and like, who were you eyeballing or who were you watching? Like, dude, like what made Brian Blyther just jaw drop? So 
I would say Eddie. Eddie was pretty rabid. Eddie was one of those writers that was very, he was, he was tricky with his tricks. He didn't want to, you know, there's contest, you know, three months from now or next month or three weeks from now. And he was like hiding some stuff and not doing some stuff. And he would only do things. So I would hear him. He, he did this or did that. And then I'd ride with him and he wouldn't do. So it was kind of just that dynamic was weird. Me and Mike weren't like that. Me and Mike just rode. Um, you know, everything I'm going to do because I, I, I've been doing it for the last three weeks. You know, I, there, I'm not, there's no, there's no secret <laughs> tricks in my book, but it's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's a GT way. And GT was a little sneakier than, than at least me. Um, right. Right. But I, I liked watching Eddie. Eddie Eddie was Eddie was super fun. I liked watching like Steve Steve McLeod. He was the dude that uh, would like fully carve and then you know jump off a knee slide half of his airs. That was pretty interesting. Uh, Mike D was always fun to watch. He always blasted. Um, but there was only a, a I can't think of of too many riders that you know I bought I bit my style off a lot of skateboarders. So Chris Miller, Lester Kasai. Um, or a couple guys that I watched ride the pipeline and I just took their lines, you know, this wall here, that's super sketchy. If you can just do a three, four or four foot air out of it, 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 you know, it breaks up a run. You don't have to go straight up and down the whole time. You do a little air here. You do a little air here. You air in that little pocket over there. And those are the things that, that I like doing the hips. I always like airing on the hips. And uh, so my, my styles were always different. It was just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then I'll, I'll blast too. But uh uh, I liked watching everybody that was there. I got a little bit of inf- like Jeff Carroll was another one that rode all the time. Um, Robert, you know, Robert Aguilar, a good friend of mine. He rode all the time. There was this black kid. I don't remember his name, but he had no fingers on his right hand. And uh, he, air- he blasted, rode the pipe and super good. Bunch, bunch of kids that never really took it any farther, but it was always a fun session at the pipeline. There locals, man. Yeah, yeah, locals. locals. Dude, I guess like thinking about that stuff, there was always a, and Craig, you like, you laughed a little bit too. You're like, right. Do in my neighborhood up in NorCal, the great debate was Haro versus GT. And it was kind of that way. Like I don't, Hutch was like Canada. Like you were like, Oh, okay. You ride a Hutch. But if you were like a GT <laughs> and, and like the Haro people, like I was a Haro guy. So I, I wrote a Haro master, but if you wrote a GT, it was like, I mean, it was like you're picking rival teams. It was nuts, dude. Did you, when you when you say like, yeah, I was kind of the GT way, were you like, man, FGT? Or were you just like, whatever? That was like the Crips and the Bloods. It was, dude. It was. <laughs> like, it was like, it was like, there there was definite like feelings of like uh, animosity between like the two, the two, like my best friend wrote a dino, but I could let, I could like, you're like, okay, you're, you're fine. Cause we ride every day. But some new guy on a GT, it was just like, who's this guy on a GT? You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like that. They were de- like, and it wasn't just the GT riders, although Eddie was one of those type of guys that would hide his hide his tricks. But I, I still don't fault him for it. It's just part of competing. Yeah. He, uh, he's a different he's a different competitor than I am. Um, but their, their team manager was a guy named Sean Buckley. And Sean Buckley was a uh, somebody that I, I never liked. I never liked his style. He was he was. He said some things, some some harsh things to us when we were really young that I never really forgot. Um, and he was all about winning, winning, winning at any cost, and we would do some shady stuff. So um, I just attributed, you know, some of those people to GT. But uh, ultimately, the the two people that started GT are great people. 
Um, yep. I like the company. I like, you know, Dave Volker is one of my best friends ever. You know, Ruben, Robert Castillo or GT guys forever. They're, they're still some of my best friends. Um, so uh, we, we, we always hung out with GT on the road, the traveling teams. We always met up. Haro and GT would always hang out. Um, but in the early competing days, yeah, GT was, was a bit of a headache. They're, yeah. they're, you know, their ads were always, you know, you know, Haro and them have a little, little war. It's just a little competitive war. It is what it is. It, it, it didn't bother me too much. Um, but it got, it got a little bit, it got a little political. Like some of the, the some of the contests were, you know, me and Eddie like tied and then it, it would go to Eddie because or whatever reason, or, you know, some of those things I, I didn't agree with, but it is what it is. <laughs> can we say what the other reason, can we say like what the other, uh, I, mean, I don't know. They took, they took a, a score from either another, another contest or another, I don't know what it was, but yeah. I, I can't, I can't give you a perfect example, but. Didn't whatever. Bob Morales, didn't Bob Morales own Dino? Yes. I don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah, not saying, well, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying, but like, I'm, uh, I, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take anything from Eddie because Eddie's a great guy. Yeah. I'll, I'll call him the king of the skate parks. I don't care. It's just, it is what it is. You know, in the grand scheme of things, Brian, and just to kind of turn the page on this, you know, we were talking about the contest, some of the politics involved and, you know, looking back and retrospectively, like the, the era ended so quickly. I mean, it, it didn't last very long. And did you, what was, what was the indicator for you or, or, you know, what were the, did you just feel like things were falling off? And then at what point did you go, Oh shit, this, this could be to where I might have to go job hunting or, or, or do something else. Like where, where were you at during that time? And and when did you really start noticing that? So I, I think, I think for me, it went all the way, um, until they were trying to uh, get Matt Hoffman on Harrow and they were, they were asking some other riders to uh, give up some of their salaries and trying to, trying to budget, trying to get some money. And they were going to cut my salary. I don't remember what it was. And just being too proud or too stupid. I said, you can have all, you, can, you know, I'll resign. You can have all my money. You can give it to Matt. That's fine. And I left Harrow. And it was kind of something, it was kind of, it was very similar to that. It was very short, just easy. Um, there was no animosity, but at the time I, I hadn't gone to any of my, like, let's say a prom. I hadn't been home for a summer since I was in the seventh grade. Um, there were some things that, you know, my, like I'd come home from tour and, and hang out with my friends that I've known forever. And you can't really, I can't really explain to what it's like. I could say that we did this, we do that, but they can't really understand fully what was going on. And they were telling me stories that, you know, what was going on there. So I, I wasn't, I was okay to hang out at home for a little bit. If I have to get a job, I have to get a job. Yeah. Um, it was a mistake, I would say, because I, I missed <laughs> it. I missed it pretty quickly. I went and worked for four or five years and I went back and did the whole GT thing. Um, basically being a carny and, and doing uh fair shows, which was a lot of fun. I did that for several years, but you know, it, it, it ended and, you know, Ron still did contests. I would still go watch. I, I became more of a fan, obviously, um, because I wasn't doing the traveling. I wasn't going to as many contests. Um, but, uh, you know, Dave Mira popped up, you know, at that time, Matt was popping up. So there was definitely a lot of cool stuff. Jamie was coming out. There was all kinds of stuff to watch. Um, I just wasn't competing. Yeah. I do. Here's here's something that I've always like. And I can only relate it to like my, like me personally. I remember, you know, I was having a blast when Flatland 
And uh, the flatland progression turned from like hopping and tail whips and boomerangs into scuffing tricks. I lived in NorCal. So I was right there with like Aaron Dole and like just that whole scuffing scene that was up in NorCal. Carl Roth and, and those guys, Vander, all that. So scuffing I was into, right? I'm like, okay, cool. This is this is dope. And then Kevin Jones came and I was just like, <laughs> I can't, I can't. There's no way. Like I I I I remember I blew my knee out trying some trick that RL had had done. And I'm like, I was just too like for me personally, I was too scared to try a lot of what Kevin was doing. Cause I'm like rolling and balance, like that was new for me. I was like, yeah, this is crazy. Do you remember like seeing Matt Hoffman? And and were you like, did you have that like shit? That guy's going fucking far. He's going way up there. Did that ha- did that happen? Because I've heard other pros say like, you know, who was it that that kind of maybe Grasso? Grasso was like he was talking about the Enchanted Ramp Day, the Naked Run. Yeah, and he's like, he goes, dude, my car just broke down. And then Matt Hoffman, and I was just like, okay, I get it. You know, did that happen? <laughs> did that happen to the to to your like your era? Because um, I, I kind of look at like Grasso was like the second. You would be the first layer of like the guys I remember doing big airs, doing ramps. He wasn't, he wasn't like, to me, I don't remember Grosso doing like, you know, skate park stuff. So that's like that second generation. So the first generation, did you guys look at Matt and go like, dude, what? Did you ever have that? Like, so so Matt, Matt, Matt was, uh, yeah, Matt could have turned pro a year, maybe two. I mean, he could have turned pro at 14, right? I mean, he was, he was pretty gnarly. So Matt is, uh, I think he's two years younger than me, possibly year and a half. Um, and Matt, Matt entered a Irvine two hip contest, um, as an amateur in one, and then he turned pro at that contest and won that. And I ended up getting second. Um, I wasn't bummed. I knew Matt was gnarly. I, I told it, and I wasn't trying to, uh, get any better or anything. I just, Early on, Matt couldn't put a run together, so I, I didn't really feel a threat. He would do a big trick and land bottom, and he couldn't keep his speed. And you know, to me, that in my eyes, <coughs> being able to do a whole run on a half pipe and keeping your momentum is is pretty important. But once he learned that, or once he could pedal and get the speed, or once he's doing four tricks in a in an air, um, it didn't matter how hard he landed. Then I was like, oh, dude, yeah, I knew he was uh, he was on his way. Yeah, and then. Uh, and then Mira was, you know, not far behind him doing his, you know, miracle stuff. So the writing was on the wall that uh, there were some some heavy hitters that were there. And, you know, I tried to do a 900 a couple of times. I thought it was a cool trick. I thought it was possible. Um, I never landed one. Mike's landed a few. Um, but, yeah, there was definitely a time where I realized. And, you know, the problem with the problem with Burt riding, like you see you see someone like Jamie, like Jamie was Jamie, 50 years old. I don't know, but he's as good as he ever has. You know, we were washed up at about 20 or 21 when really that's your, you know, from, from 20 to 30, it, it would have been probably my, my prime if I would have just stuck with it. Not saying I would have beat Matt or anything like that, but definitely it's not too old to, to be, to be riding, but the, the, the industry stopped, you know, things kind of happened. Um, it was just, it was just unfortunate, I guess. When I came back a few years later and riding Burt for GT, um, that was fun. That was super fun. I was getting yeah. to, you know, I was doing shows at, at different areas where I got to see some of, you know, I got to see Mira a few times or, or Jamie or, or, or Matt and still to be, it's just still be riding for doing shows. That was cool to me that, you know, Hey, I'm still riding, still having fun, still doing shows. Um, don't have to be a, you know, top 10, you know, contest rider. 
Although some of the X games in the early days, I could have qualified at least in the top 10, but if I'm not going for, you know, if I'm going, if I'm not going to win, well, you know, what, what, what fun is it? So I never really did any of that. Um, I did some soul bowl stuff where it was, uh, you know, 2001 or 2002 entered the soul bowl a couple of times just to do it. I got talked into it and uh, it was fun. You know, I made it to 10 feet in the higher uh, contest. So I was stoked on that. But That's incredible. Uh, yeah, there was definitely times where, you know, it, it, it definitely, it obviously new, new blood has to come in at, at some point. It was, it was awesome to see. And I was stoked because um, you think about it and these are some of the raddest dudes ever. So, you know, how could I be bummed about that? You know? Yeah. There's 100%. definitely been ebbs and flows in the sport. I mean, you, so you pretty much have stuck with BMX or at least had, a level of participation on on some level right so with things going up and down like you're still involved with bmx today um tell us about that what are you doing um are i mean what what's what interests you what what, what events do you go to what you're riding like just give us a real so real the cool down. the cool thing about about nowadays at least i think it's pretty cool is uh, we got we started uh or we we, we designed the slow ride so the BMX slow ride is a 24, 26 and 29 inch, uh, bike that, um, that me Mike Dominguez and Xavier Mendez started and, uh, Harl gave us a lot of support. Um, we were going to do it on our own type of deal, but why, you know, why did, why did we really need to Haro, you know, Haro's got the marketing, Haro can do everything. So we kind of gave it, we, we, it kind of, we kind of all worked on it together. I'll say it wasn't, it wasn't like we started. It wasn't like, you know, it was just kind of a, uh, we all worked on it together. And the cool thing about it is, is every bike that's sold um, money for Mike, myself and Xavier goes into a pool and we just let Haro keep it. And that's our traveling fund. So we have uh, all, all the money. We've never got paid for any of our bikes. Like my, uh, my 2015, uh, you know, signature bike is, uh, is one of those bikes. The 24 inch uh, lighter bike is one of them the one with the tough wheels, all those bikes. So we, money goes into our pot and we get to travel. So we went to, we went to Hawaii a couple months ago for big islands, uh, birthday and, and wedding, uh, a bunch of skate parks out there. That was a good time. We're going to Ohio in a couple of weeks for one of the Mike buff, uh, ride outs. Buckeye, the Buckeye. Buckeye bike show. Yeah. The Buckeye. There you go. So yeah, we're going to go to that. And, uh, you know, we pick and choose kind of what we want to do. But we're going to go to two or three events a year, you know, for this, you know, the upcoming years. For we have plenty of money to do it, so we we have a we have a budget to keep on riding, and uh, that's super cool, I, man. Because uh, one of the things, like, uh, I hope you remember this. A couple of years ago, meeting at Mike Buff's house for the before yeah, the subway, yeah. the forty one thirty subway series. I was generally kind of surprised and stoked to see a lot of the guys like you and Volker and everyone but Pete on a on a bigger <laughs> bike, right? Pete rode a 20 inch during that ride out. So I was like, Yeah, of course he did. Of course, Pete, of course he did. Right. But yeah, I mean, first of all, congrats on working with Haro on that slow ride. Um uh so that's what I want to talk about. Like, so you obviously um you're still involved with BMX, but what do you think about the big bike? the big bike scene, as far as, you know, when you go on those big rides, three, 400 people in LA, um, you know, is that something that you're like, dude, I'm down with this or, um, what is it about it? Of, of course you're out there riding. So if, I know you're down with it, but what, what is it about <laughs> that scene now, um, that you like the most, I guess you would say. 
Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, almost like the, not quite, it's not like the fixie scene, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a way to get people on bikes. You see whole families, you see groups of dudes, you see chicks, you see everybody, you know, kids. Um, it's awesome. And uh, everyone, everyone's cool. It's all chill. It's, uh, it, it's, you know, it's an iconic place where you're downtown LA going from Hollywood and cool scene, cool scenery. There's, it's awesome. I mean, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that I don't like about it. The the train ride back where everything's, everything's genius. It's bitching. It's a super fun ride. You get down into Beverly Hills and uh, you see cool shit and talk to weirdos on the street. And it's just, it's, it's rad. But <laughs> I mean, I really, I really yeah. believe that I could live in any big city in America and have a very similar feeling. I mean, yeah. there's ride outs in every, I mean, Houston, Texas, or, or, Philadelphia, you know, there's ride outs everywhere. The yep. scene, the, the big bike scene is everywhere. I mean, it's, 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 it's huge in the inner cities everywhere. So I, I, I truly believe everyone can do it. I mean, if you live anywhere within, you know, whatever, an hour, hour and a half of the city, there's rides. And there, if they're yeah. not, there's probably rides in your town. Yeah. I you mean, know, look at, uh, uh Bob, uh, they're they're doing the Haro uh, uh, 40th anniversary yeah. of the freestyler with with uh, Bob as kind of like the headliner on the flyer, man. I mean, that in That's itself right. shows you that you know the tides change and, and anybody can have a ride out and you can. You are you know, going to that, Brian? All your friends again? Yeah, I think it's in July, right? Yeah, July second. Craig and I are going. Are you going to go? Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, dude, hell yeah, that's yeah, gonna be dope. Totally. Yeah, I'm super. Yeah, I'll be there. Dude. That's a yeah, that's a good one. What or. I, dude, I don't want to. I I want to come back to big bikes, but uh, I've I fell on my head a lot. So if I have a question, I have to jump on it real quick. So this is gonna this is gonna be out of left field. Um, two things: what I love about your bike, the slow ride, um, and Craig, you and I have talked about this on the podcast. It's such a cool nod. But if you look on the if you look on the chainstay, you guys, it says BMX, and Blyther, Mike Dominguez, Xavier, BMX is on like the chainstay. That's sick, dude. Like. To me, that's such a cool like throwback. I saw that in a bike shop and I'm like, I, I had to explain to my wife, right? I'm like, she's just like, it, it's BMX. I'm like, yeah, but it's, you don't understand that's initials of like three legends that happen so, to make up BMX. Let me, tell, let me tell you, you know the story on how it, how that happened or how nope, we started but I that? Won't. Let's hear it. So we, we, were in, uh, we were in Huntington Beach for, uh, me and Mike and Xavier, Huntington Beach for a contest of some sort. It was way, it was a long, long time ago, um, but I think it was, towards the end of, of us riding at least competing and i can't remember I, I wish i could tell you what contest or even the year but it was a long time ago and we went into this mexican restaurant and the you know the the chick says you know how many and who's who's again what's your name and we all said our name at the same time i said brian mike and xavier and she goes oh i'll just i'll just put down bmx and that from that day on we realized oh crap we're bmx and uh, it it Xavier kind of took it on the most. It tripped me out that she said it. Uh, me and Mike kind of kind of laughed, and uh, Xavier it it really tripped Xavier out. And so you know, thirty five years later, thirty years, whatever it's been, um, it makes sense now. So the bike, uh, yeah, the BMX slow ride makes sense. That's like, I mean, that's as cool as a forty. That's as cool as like the forty three number that we've been living on, thriving off of like. <laughs> Like there's just the, the, the randomness of like, Oh, these three dudes hanging out that are legends. And it happens to be BMX. Come on. dude. God has <laughs> a, God, there's on. a God and he has a sense of humor. And if you're curious, 
there you go. That's how you can prove it. Um, Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. What what was it like, dude, being, uh, you know, because I look at it like y'all were kind of child stars almost, really, if you think about it, dude, like that fame, all that fame being so young. Um, and, and for those of you that, that, you know, maybe are a little bit younger than, than Craig, myself and Brian, um, the magazines back then, like there wasn't social media and you couldn't just call your friends. So you literally, you've got all of your news and your updates from magazines. And every, if you think every kid in your city had a BMX bike and every kid in your city had some type of either freestyle or a BMX bike, we all read the same magazine. So these guys were literally stars, uh, like beyond compare in our industry. The thing about it is in the, in the, uh, uh, like pop culture, I guess is what you'd say. Like everybody knew who you were really, you know, you think about it. Um, dude, what was it like growing up like that growing up where just everybody, like for a comparison, like Craig and I go to a party and it's like, who's this guy? You know what I mean? And you show up at a party and it's like, that's, that's fucking Brian Blyther, dude. You know what I mean? Like what's, what was that like growing up like that? So, I mean, it, it definitely, if, if you're at a, a bike event or a BMX, a, whatever, yes, you're going to get noticed. It wasn't like I, I'd, I'd, get, I'd be out with a girl and I'd get like stopped at a restaurant, you know, sign autographs at a restaurant. I mean, can I say it ever, it's ever happened? It's happened, but it's not something like a, you're not a movie star to where you can't do stuff. It wasn't right. that kind of feeling. But, you know, you go to a race or you go to a, a contest, you go to an event, you know, it, people are going to recognize you. And it was very cool. And I w- I'll have to say, everyone's got, you know, from the new riders to the the people that, you know, your age, and everyone's got respect. Everyone's super cool. It's just, I mean, it's not hard for me to go. I'd go, you know, it's not like a, you know, a Trekkie deal where, I, you know, these weekends <laughs> where I go and sign stuff and, and go hang out. Believe me, I was I was a dude that would, would go to your house and ride your ramp. I'd go have a barbecue with your family. I would go to your bike shop. You know, I, I did all those things. And, and I will say that's one thing that the Harl team did. We went to barbecues. We went to shops afterwards. We went and hung out with people, and we did that every single night. And yeah. and it made a difference on on those shops come asking us back the next year. All that stuff was huge. But but anyway, I would say that I never really never really thought much about it until we were starting to do like MTV and you know the the whatever that MTV I forget what the dance show was on MTV. But we went and danced on MTV. Um, for like five episodes, they film a bunch in, and we wore all the same clothes, you know, every single day. So we did, we did like four or five of those. And then, uh, you know, once Spike got on the, on the scene here and all the, um, the various magazines in uh, New York city, um, we did, you know, once I was on the swatch tour, they, they put ads and, you know, Vogue and all these different news. And then, so there was interest in all kinds of different cultures and all kinds of different levels that was kind of trippy. Um, so it was, it was definitely trippy. It was definitely cool. We got to do things, you know, I, the things I got to do as a bike rider blow me away. I've been to, you know, every state a dozen times I've been to 56, 57 countries. Um, I've, I've hung out with some super, superstars and, and did some very cool stuff that bike riding has, has allowed me to do and bike riding opened my eyes to all kinds of stuff this world has to offer. And I'm, I'm truly blessed. I try to show my family. I travel with my kids. Um, I get to go to these, you know, bike events. I'm taking my daughter to Ohio in a couple of weeks. Um, to me, that's, to me, that's the best. I mean, I get to actually um, spend time 
doing these things that I like to do with, with my family now. Um, yeah. So traveling to some of these countries and some of these places with my family, it's kind of like my first time being there. Cause I didn't really do any tour stuff. And we all we cared about was riding. I can drive by somewhere and said, I remember riding there. I can remember riding there, but you know, it's a whole different, whole different vibe now, but it probably yeah. gets real too. Like when, yeah. when you're, cause your kids are like, okay, I, you know, dad used to ride bike, uh, you know, and, and you know, every once in a while you like dad's biking friend, but like, you know, you go to like a Buckeye and there's like a line. Why are these people lined up to talk to you, dad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know? that, that kind of stuff trips my, you know, my daughter's 17. So she's going to be a senior this year. Um, she, she's cool. She rides, she, uh, she, she knows. So, but it's going to be fun. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's another, it's just another ride that, uh, you know, it'll be fun to take her. So yeah. Um, summertime, right. Why not? And shout out to you and, and all the guys who are from your area or other eras that do go to these events, the Buckeye bike show, old school BMX reunion. I think we were talking on the, the Haro episode that we had a couple months back and, you know, we were asking you guys, you know, can people still come up to you? They, you know, this, and you're like, dude, yeah, that's, that's what we love, man. It's like, there's still, even though like Isaac and I are, are pushing 50 years old, you know, when we get a chance to hang out with you guys, we're, we're instantly 14 again, um, at, at Mike's house. I, Us you know, too. Yeah. No, that's dope. I mean, no, I, remember, I was like, I saw you and I was like, man, what do I, I got to say something to, to Brian. So you were talking earlier about the uh, 24 inch FST, which I own. They only made a hundred of them. And I was like, Hey, Brian, like you and I were in the line at, at, for the bathroom and I'm all, Hey, Brian, uh, <laughs> I got your, bu- I got your bike. I got the 24 inch FST and you're like, right on dude. Thanks man. Appreciate it. You know? And it's just those things that you guys, you know, are, I'm so thankful that you guys are still involved with BMX because there's a lot of us out there you know, just either doing this podcast, showing up, you know, to a a bike event for, you know, the Buckeye or whatever, those things matter to not only us, but I can see that you guys get a kick out of it too. So it's a win-win for everyone. Well, thank thank you guys for what you do, man. It gives me an opportunity to come out here and I, I, it trips me out that people want to hear about what we went through, but I get it because I trip out on what we went through. I mean, I, I want to hear my story because I don't remember everything. You know, Dave Volker says it, often you know we hit our head a lot and we don't remember but you know I'll, I'll go to the i'll go to the old school gym or the woodward and you know i hear someone tell a story and i and i vaguely remember it but i i love hearing how fun how much fun we had there was all kinds of cool stuff that <laughs> who's that the we, best storyteller yeah, uh, all your is it volker uh volker's a good storyteller ron wilkerson believe it or not is a good storyteller ron wilkerson is much is is out of it as he is, he can tell you a story and do a sub story and a sub story. And you think he's never getting back and he'll, he'll go, Oh yeah, I'm back. And he'll go right back to where he was. I watched him do a, a I don't remember where we were at. We're in Chicago. Uh, I don't remember what the event was, but a BMX thing where he was like the headliner and he talked for probably two hours and I was fully impressed. It was super good, Dude. but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, yeah. Dave's good. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of good dudes out there that that could definitely talk. Yeah, I'll, I'll Dave's echo not a good storyteller because he doesn't remember shit. But <laughs> but what he does remember, he's good at. <laughs> Dude, Dave, Dave. Here's what's the crazy thing about Dave. Like for me, growing up, I remember Dave's balance tricks, right? And so it was like the Gumby, and you know, you you'd see these like balance power moves. And then I'm watching him right now, and I'm like. Bro, I had no idea you had this whole plethora of tricks that are like insane that he will link together 
And I, I'm thinking, and this is no joke. I'm not joking. Like I haven't ridden with Dave personally. I've only seen clips, but I've seen clips of him like goofing off and having fun. And I still, I think I've maybe nine times in my entire life. Have I seen Dave touch the ground when he's riding a bike? Like he just doesn't touch dude. Like his, his tricks are all dialed. It's crazy. Plug um, in real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I have tons of respect for, for Dave. And then just to echo the thing about Ron, dude, his storytelling, I did the same thing. Like, uh, Joe, Joe and Dave have the, the factor freestyle podcast, which you guys go, go Google that, follow them, subscribe to, to factor freestyle. Um, they did a, a summit 43 where it was like, you paid $43 and you got, uh, three like zoom, uh, weekends of like, one was with a trainer. But the keynote was Ron Wilkerson, and it just said two hours with Ron Wilkerson on his philosophy on life. And I thought, this is going to be over in about 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but ex- exactly what you talked about, right, dude? Like, he went off on five different, like, he started with, like, a, a, a thread. Went, and that thread, like, a tree trunks went out, and then somehow it all came back. And yeah. you're sitting back, and you're like, Ron's, Ron's not crazy. He just wants you to think he's crazy. Exactly. Like, Cause then he can get away with whatever he wants, but that dude is brilliant. <laughs> like, yeah. He's, he's absolutely sane. He's sane as fuck. He just yeah. wants you to think he's crazy so he can do whatever he wants. But <sighs> that dude is, he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I trip out on his storytelling. Cause he, he's exactly, that's the one thing that I took out of several times. I've heard him talk. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's, you know, since his coma, he'll talk to you this far, you know, he'll get right in your face and he'll spit on you and, you think that he's uh you know lost it, but you hear him talk and it's like you're right, he's brilliant. Yeah, hundred percent, dude. Yeah, he's he's, uh, he's a trip. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with one last question. Um, and this is a probably the hardest question, but let me frame it for you. Um, I'm, my question is this: What when you look back, dude, at just BMX now through when you started, do, what what is your favorite memory? And to help you kind of frame that too is like if, if I talk to Craig which I do weekly on our podcast. Uh, and, and Craig and I didn't grow up knowing each other. We met three years ago, but he grew up doing BMX in NorCal and I was doing Flatland in NorCal. And we, what I realized is we all have the same stories. We all sat and drank a uh, uh, horrible name, but we called them suicides. But it was like, you go in, you get a Slurpee and you just run through the entire line of <laughs> sodas and you would just make your own soda. And then you'd sit out front if somebody bought a magazine, you'd, you'd pass it around, but you would just talk about sessions and what you just read and contests and stuff like that. I don't remember the tricks I did as much as I remember hanging out in front of like sitting on a parking curb. And that's, that's BMX to me when I look back at BMX and why I spend stupid amounts of money on nostalgic, you know, pictures of Brian Blyther and autographs, because I probably talked about like with my best friends that I grew up with, we talked about like that VHS like, I think I had a 15th generation uh, dubbed copy from, you know, some dude's like stash of VHS tapes of like, you know, <laughs> King, King of the Skate Parks and, and all of this. So, like, what is your when you look back at BMX, dude, what is it? What is it that, uh, that kind of grounds you? And what do, what's your favorite memory? Well, I, I'd have to say that my well, there's there's a couple. But my earliest my earliest memories were I just would leave the house and go ride with some dudes and, and go wherever we have a, an auction that's down in Dairyland. Uh, we have a, uh, you know, we, we would actually, it was almost like spin the bottle, but not spin the bottle, but we would just 
try to decide which way we're going to go. We would actually figure out which direction and we would go. We would ride for 15, 20 miles. And uh, see, those times were priceless, man. It was a good time. We, we didn't do much. We rode a lot, but it was super, super fun. And uh, I cherish, I mean, I cherish all my, my neighborhood friends and, and, and people that I still get to see um, still to this day. But I, I would say the things that uh, as far as my BMX, maybe career wise, um, the early Haro days where Haro thought it was genius. Well, Haro thought it was good to put me, Ron and Dave, three totally different people that come from different walks of life and put us in a van with a random, you know, uh, announcer and go do 68 shows in a three month period. And it, it's, it's insane that we were able to click. It's insane that we were able to get along. And some of those, some of those experiences, like just being on the road with those dudes for months and months and months, um, was unbelievable. It, it was a dream come true only because we all love BMX the same. We all, we all, we all absolutely cared about what we were doing. We absolutely wanted to do good. We, we wanted to, there was some sh certain shop owners that we wanted to go you know, we, we don't have to be anywhere for 12 hours. So we'll go to the shop, we'll barbecue, we'll hang out with your family. We'll drink some beers, do whatever. And then we'll, we'll just not get a hotel and drive. And that was something that we would all have to agree on, but we did it every single time there. We may have a day off and we'll stay in, you know, whatever, some little town in Connecticut to go ride a ditch that these kids said we should go check out. Sure. Well, let's go check it out. And we will go, we'll jump and we'll hang out with you guys. And, uh, those kind of things were special to me. Um, every year we would, we'd, we wouldn't stay in a hotel for a couple of nights so we can splurge to New York city. And, uh, we had a good time. We rode all over New York city. We would spend the night in the city and just, uh, some of the things that we, we, we luckily got through and experienced and none of us ever got killed, um, <laughs> is, uh, is a bit of a testimony, but, uh, it, it, it the, the whole, the whole, the vibe of us three, you know, it was, it was truly only about five years and it was over, but it, it almost seems like, you know, I toured with those guys for 15 years. It feels like, I feel like we were in a rock band for we cause we see each other and we do things together and we still do shows together. But um, those four or five years on Harrow were, were definitely uh, impacted my life. And those are, those are some of my best memories of BMX I'd say. That's great, dude. I love that. And it's, it's so relatable, right? Because like Craig and I laugh about this all the time. Your first, like your first story about just jumping on your bike and going riding. Like, I think every listener of this podcast has done the, the, like the collect call and y'all, for those of you that are young before you own the cell phone that you can call your mom on, like I would ride from my house to like two cities away and realize like, I'm not going to get home before it's dark. So you'd call, like you'd, you'd have to make that collect call. Like, you know, and they would, the operator click call, what's your name? <laughs> and so then your mom would pick up the phone and be like, do you accept a click call from mom? Come pick me up on mics. And <laughs> That's like a jail call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mom, I went to go come pick me up at Ron's. You know, that was yeah. like, that was like your, your, and then she'd be like, no, I don't accept. And then 20 minutes later, your mom would show up and like yell yeah. at you. <laughs> yeah. But it was free. Yeah. Right. She didn't have to pay for it. Yeah. So Craig, mom, mom, Craig, I'm in jail. Come pick me up. Bail me out. <laughs> mom, I'm in Laramie. I threw a French fry. 
that's so good, man. dude. All right, Craig, uh, any final questions you have for Brian Blake? It, yeah, I most definitely, you know, typically, Brian, when it gets to this point in the show, I have no questions, only comments. But for you, buddy, I've got a question on the Haro episode, which you were a guest on with Wilkerson and Nori. You guys teased, or I'm going to say Wilkerson started out saying there's a possibility of a 2023 Haro comeback tour. Is that still in the works or was that just a wishful thinking thing? Have you guys talked about that at all? Go. So I'm going to say no, because it's 2024. 2024. Yes. So, uh, so I don't know how far along they are, but I still get texts from Dave saying that he's still working on it. There's still things going on. Yeah. I retire in uh, May of 23. And so I'm cool with anything after that. And so it's supposed to be, you know, uh, whatever, like a 10 city, eight city, five city, whatever it is, um, tour to where, you know, we go and do a show and it's kind of like a, a, a hang. It's kind of like a party. It's kind of like a, you pay to, to be in, involved in the whole festivities, the whole, the whole night type deal. Yep. And, uh, I think it's a great idea, but, uh, I don't know anymore about it. And my, just so my, you know, I'm, I'm volunteering right now during this episode on the air to be the new chaperone for the tour. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and you guys, uh, I, I hope, I hope this happens. I believe it's going to happen. Uh, we will absolutely, Craig and I will absolutely help promote any GoFundMe opportunities. And I hope, I hope that you open it up and let us uh, try and try and uh, fund our cities. You know what I mean? Like, say, there you hey, go. Uh, why you know, not? like if, if we can, if we, cause like, look, it, I could get all my friends to kick in 10 bucks to, to have you all come out and like hang out for a day, dude, we could, we could easily make that happen in Phoenix. Yeah. You know I what I mean? So it's about, I think, I don't think it's a, we're not, we're not looking to make money. We're not looking to, you know, we're just, we're looking to pay minimal expenses and have a good time. You yeah, know, it's something yeah. that we love to do. If we can get together and, and go hang out and party with our friends, how awesome is that? I mean, that's, it is. And I think yeah. fireworks are legal in Arizona. So uh, no, they absolutely are. are. Yeah. yeah. Fire, fireworks are legal. And uh, I will, ex- I will expect uh, like at least a 10 foot air on your slow ride uh, with that nice. front wheel out. Uh, so as long as, as, long as the ramp's eight feet, I can get two feet out of it. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> dude braver than i am braver than i am <laughs> go ahead craig I, I cut in with that but go ahead no man that's the, i think brian answered everything man no man just shout out to you brian thanks again you know we just big props to you for coming on the show being a special <laughs> guest tonight dude thank you for having been, me oh yeah it's been so much fun for everybody who showed up here who's in the live chat right now and has been able to to enjoy this man we're, we're glad that uh that you came here tonight and shared your stories with us brian Amazing, amazing guest. Thank you for your time. Isaac, go ahead and take it from here. Yeah, man. All right, you guys. Hey, July 2nd, head if you're if you're able to make this happen, if you can head down to Oceanside, there is a ride for the Haro. Was it the 40, 45th? It's 40. 40th. 40th. 40th yeah. anniversary of the freestyler. Bob's Crazy. gonna be riding. Uh John Bulgens is gonna be there. Brian Blyther is going to be there. You can ride with Brian. You can talk about, you can ask him about Laramie, Wyoming, please. (laughs) But you can ride with all these folks 
that you grew up with. They were on your wall. Maybe you went to a local bike shop and saw them and saw them there. You can actually go ride with them. So July 2nd, they're riding from Oceanside to Cardiff. And there's going to be some Haro beer, I'm told, that's there. You can buy some branded beer. Uh, it's going to be cool. And we, we talked to John Bolchins about it, and it sounds legit. So make sure you head down there, hang out. Craig and I will be there as well. Swing by, say hi to everybody. But, uh, Brian, thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you for, uh, thank you. you know, just thanks for BMX, man. Thank you for my childhood. <laughs> thank you for, for the stories that, that you told Spike and Wendy and Oz all those years and John Carr. Thank you for all of that, Bill Bachelor. But, dude, just thanks for being, like, that dude that always, like, you know, you look at some riders, and I never really felt like, uh, like, I was intimidated by a lot of riders, man, because they were so good. But, like, you, Dave, and Ron, you all carried yourself where it was like, man, if if I saw Brian Blyther, he would want to ride with me. Versus, yeah, yeah, like, totally. I always looked at everybody else, like, I want to ride with them. And you proved it over and over. So thank you for that. And just being who you are and, and what you've done for BMX, man. We owe you just so much gratitude and and uh thank you so much for all you've done, man. And thank you for giving up all those those summers and proms and all that stuff, dude. So we could <laughs> we could watch you tuck airs and uh you know do do everything that you did for for BMX. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. Uh, well, thank you. I I had a blast and uh totally appreciate it. And I definitely will see you guys in July. All right, Craig, take us out, brother. Yo, everyone, thanks for showing up here at Big Bike BMX. Again, a super shout out and big thank you to our special guest, Brian Blyther, to everyone in the live chat and everyone who's listening to this on our streaming podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you guys. We love you so much. Thanks for supporting Big Bike BMX. For Big Bike BMX, I'm 80s BMX Craig. And Isaac, back to you. You guys take care. I love you all. Thanks for hanging out in the live chat. Brian, take care, brother. We'll see you in July. Ba, 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 ba. Fwum, fwum, fwum. <laughs>